There is no middle point where we're both content. That's not. Got to figure out something. Got to figure out something else. Just everybody. Just everybody's going to be a little bit uncomfortable, right? And the goal isn't to like solve the problem. Be like, okay, here's a way where everybody's comfortable now, right? It's a way to transfer the discomfort. You know, like share it. (laughs) (laughs) Scotch. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 413 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast, Butterscotch Shenanigans. I'm Seth and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam and I'm also sort of the games programmer. I'm Sam and I'm the artiste. And this is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today's April 28th. 20 Jubilee. Before we get started, we have a warning. There's going to be just incessant cursing on this show. Uh, not like bad words kind. We're going to we're gonna do some legit hexes this time mm-hmm. around. Are a hex and a uh, curse the same thing? They got to be. I feel like. Uh, yeah. Yeah. They must be different well, well, somehow. You know? A hex it's, feels it's, like a lighter, like a light curse. I think it's just more about the delivery method. Mm-hmm. I yeah. think hexes require more like runes and artifacts and stuff and or curses like a, or like a usually, hand symbol right so it's like yeah, yeah curses can you can just kind of you just say those it. out verbally yeah no that's no problem convenient yeah uh so always, always go to curses they're better for the environment too because you don't have to use up so many materials yep. yeah, them, yeah you know so especially rare uh, materials because like usually for like hexes and stuff you gotta go like, oh you need gold you need salamanderize salamanderize yeah also salamander eyes. Real uh, hard to get. Yeah. Well, especially if like because of you know, <laughs> climate change and stuff, like now you're going to have all these endangered pools of, of animals if there are even any left. And if you're also now harvesting their eyeballs for hexes, like it's just too much. Yeah. It's not you know? good. Yeah. Yeah. But that's why you do it the safe way. Just take their eyes and then release them back into the wild. You know, yep. they'll be, it'll, it'll be fine. Yeah, they, Don't they, even worry they grow them back, it. right? They grow, they grow back like tails. Yeah. Uh, anyways. <laughs> Uh, we'd just like to thank our recurring supporters over at moneygrab.bscotch.net. Thank you so much for uh, the monthly donations to help keep the podcast going. Uh, all right, so we're just going to go right into questions today. So these questions come from our listeners at podcast.bscotch.net. So if you'd like to get your question onto a future episode, just go there and ask it, and hopefully it's a good one. And then people will upvote it, and then we'll read it. All right, here we go. <laughs> Highest upvoted question comes from Beaky Bapa Boop, who says, how often do you watch or read devlogs? If you do, is it for work or for fun? Mm. Uh, I, I read a lot of technical blogs. So like, so I've, so I'm on my like uh, RSS feed reader, you know, I've got like the GitHub blog and then like the, like, like all, basically all the, all the tech that I use and all like the libraries use and stuff. Like if they have a blog then I'm subscribed to it and I just read that stuff as it comes out. Um, Those are more like, uh, here's, here's what, here's the new feature that we're. Yeah. It's like new features or it's like discussions about like why they're doing something or, or like tips and tricks for some aspect of the tool, you know, whatever that kind of stuff. So I do that kind of thing. Uh, and then every once in a while, there's a few companies that have decent, more like devlog style things where it's just like getting into the weeds on something, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but those are pretty, I find, I find like because most people's problems are just not anywhere close to my and our problems, you know, that those rarely are very useful for me. So I just, tend to be like, yeah, I don't care. You know, I guess it kind of depends, depends what you mean by dev logs, you know, because yeah, there's like, yeah. there's stuff like, Oh, here's an already released product that we are like, we have a new version coming and here's some like cool insights into what we're doing. You know, I'll, if it's a product or something like a, or a game or something that, that I'm really into, then in some cases I'll look at that just to kind of like, just, it's interesting, you mm-hmm. know, it's just like, see, see what's coming and, and why, right. What the thought process process is but when it comes to like just devlogs in general about like if somebody's working on a new game like an independent developer who's like putting out devlogs yeah i don't look at uh, any of that yeah i don't really read those because i think it's like this the journey that they're going on is often you know like they're just like oh yeah like i'm trying to i'm trying to like make my grass look cooler in my game and here's like here's the 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 path that i went down to try to do it you know and they'll make like videos or screenshots or whatever which can be pretty interesting, but like Adam was saying, it's it's interesting if you if you yourself are kind of dealing with something that's covered by that that 
blog post. But if you're not, uh, or you have no like applicability for it, then it's kind of like yeah, you're saying you basically you you guys both pay attention to those things not as a form of entertainment, but as a form of educational material. Yeah, like so you try to find usefulness yeah. out of it. I think the last one I paid attention to was the uh, the Archvale uh, devlog series on YouTube. Um, Archvale is like a sort of a shooty roguelike with some crafting stuff going on in it. Um, it's got some kind of like nuclear throne and forager sort of feel to it in terms of how it plays and the kind of pixel artiness. And the thing I was actually impressed by with it is that the, the usually devlogs are rough because like you're fucking making a whole game and it's hard. Like editing videos takes a very long time. Yep. Yeah, there, there's the context problem, right? Like it's a yes. whole game. So any given post, if the person hasn't been following the devlog the whole time, then yeah, you're sort of you get down an audience <laughs> over time. And so I was, I was very impressed because even the first one they put out, um, the videos are just polished and they, they somehow, I think, do a good job of riding that line between like they'll dip a little bit into a few like the technical weeds of how something works. But I mean, I mean, very much a little bit like, oh, we finally figured out this thing by using this function and then doing this thing. Um, but then otherwise, it's like, yeah, we got we got these cool shrines set up. We got this mm. set up. And so it's almost so more, it's more of a it's not like a technical Details, it is, but, along, but yeah, it, I mean, it is. It well, it's more of like edit. a following along with the progress kind of a thing. Right? Yes, yes, yeah. and I think I think those ones are actually those are rare. Like they're rare because they're they're both hard to. It's very hard to walk that line as a dev yeah. of not not going too far as you know, people this podcast can test, like not go too far into the technical details about something because the, basically the further you go in, the more you lose people, but also not making it purely a sort of a, just an expose on like, here's how the design of this thing works. Right. Um, yeah. Well, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's as you said, very time costly, but then there's also yes. the, cause, cause this is something that we talk about a lot because like we're doing lots of cool stuff and we, we discover new things as we go, you know? So like we just, uh, implemented basically two of the new core or the remaining core features in Crashlands two over the past two mm -hmm. weeks. Right. And going and like in that process of them like coming to life of like not having it at all and then like having the the kind of few prototypes in place that test out different concepts of it right and then kind of the approximate final version is a really cool progression right and we have all these also like fun internal uh, dev tools inside the game where we can like have all these overlays that show you a lot more information about like how the game is doing things and making decisions about stuff right. That is frankly very cool, right? And it's the kind of stuff that every time like Seth puts a new one of these things together to help him debug something or or program something, um, every time I look at it, I'm like, oh, it'd be really cool to show this to people, you know? But the problem is always every time, like, well, how do we fit this into like our launch strategy, right? So that, because we don't want to reveal too much and we don't want to invite people to be like, oh, I hate this because of X, right? When it's an early version of the game. <laughs> yes. So it's like, how do we frame this appropriately to make sure that we don't cause problems for ourselves in the future? But most importantly though, is where do we find the time to sit down for like a couple hours to put together a decent video that's actually even worth watching, right? Yeah. Yeah. To, to me, this, it's a post, this is a post-launch thing, which is like, yes, nobody wants to know uh, how a game was made if they don't care about the game or know anything about it. Yeah. Right. And so like, if you've launched the game and it has an audience, people know it, they know the game, they've played it, they know how it works. Right. Then if you say, oh yeah, like here's some of the cool developer tools that we have to help us make this game. Here's this overlay that shows like how buildings are calculated. Mm -hmm. Right. And then, and like, because you, do, you now don't have to explain how like what buildings are in this game or you know whatever like mm -hmm. the context is there and how and this compares an to what the you'll actually play as a player right yeah yeah so like at that point you know it's, it's kind of like if somebody had never seen a car before and you're like hey you want me to pop open the hood and you can like see the engine of this thing they're like what it, what is it though like <laughs> yeah. what's an engine yeah. what are you talking about? what's a hood you know yep. uh so you, uh, you need to you just need that audience i think yeah which well, is, I I think think we could think about doing okay. maybe yeah, there, I mean, I think there is enough stuff with games that is like just already interesting because it's such a visual medium. Yeah. And, and also people understand, you know, the foundational stuff of games pretty well. So I think there is enough stuff there that that people can still find it and have a really good time if they're just interested in how games work. But it is it is the case, though, that like you're saying, if there's the being interested in how this stuff works in general, which is one audience. Right. And there's being interested in your game specifically and how it works. Mm -hmm which is actually kind of a non-overlapping audience, right? Like it's like two separate pools of people. It's not a Venn diagram. Yeah, so it's circles. <laughs> and there's people who will buy your game and play it 
after it launches, which is also a different group of people. Yeah, different group with only people, a minimal yeah. overlap between the other ones. So it's yeah, it's I see a lot of a lot of indie devs do pursue a devlog strategy, but the problem is that like because it's it's very hard to get that initial traction, right? So you could start with basically your audience of peers who are also, you know, indie devs doing stuff. Um, but I think either you have to produce videos that have such high polish that they actually can reach outside of the audience a bit or hit like a lot of them. So in the case of Archfail, I think they did that actually very successfully. Um, or you have to recognize that like the time you're spending there is not necessarily going to get you an audience yeah, who will buy the fun, game, but it might get you something yeah. else. Yeah, yeah. Or, or or it serves as a foundation for like going to give talks at conferences and yes. and that kind of stuff. There's um, other purposes for it, certainly. But I yeah. think it's it's I wouldn't I personally would never rely on it as the actual marketing strategy for a game. Um, yeah, oh, there's maybe yeah. one other purpose. So I think about like uh, Stardew Valley. So mm-hmm. that was kind of a a rare case where uh, the developer was working pretty much alone um, mm-hmm. for like five years and. Uh, he had ended up, you know, putting together a, a subreddit, but I think he started in like the Harvest Moon community, right? Mm-hmm. Like he kind of yeah, got in their form, got to something. a point where, yeah, he got to a point where Stardew Valley was like, it was starting to feel like have that feel mm-hmm. of Harvest Moon. Um, so he like shared it with that community and then kind of like spun off his own community uh, and started like just interacting with that community a lot, which built up a lot of kind of hype over time. But I think in his case, it was like, it was, it was kind of twofold. One was, I think if he hadn't done that, he probably would never have finished the game because yeah. if you're working completely alone with yes, no external feedback mm-hmm. for five years, it, it's a mental health nightmare. Even for six months, know? man. Like, I mean, I think this, yeah, to your point, this is, there's a different side of this, which is a uh, devlog as a tool for, for getting those, getting some feedback and getting those wins basically throughout to a lone or a small team development cycle that is oftentimes just very isolating and not particularly fun. You know I mean? Yeah, it's brutal, you know? It's brutal. And I think in his case, you know, he was able to sort of like capitalize on the excitement about the kind of game that he was making and that yes. there was kind of like a hole in the market, um, which is, that uh, that on its own is an incredibly rare thing, right? And yeah. like, that's something that we actually, we kind of looked looked at when we started to work on Levelhead. You know, we're like, well, like Mario, people love Mario Maker. Doesn't look like there's going to be any kind of a follow-up to it. And like, mm-hmm. there's been complete silence about it. And also it's, it's like stuck on the Wii U, I think it was. Yeah. Uh, and so we were like, oh man, like this kind of game is really great. There's not that many out there. Um, and we think there's going to be like this big hole in the market that we can just kind of jump into and and capitalize on the Mario Maker fans, just like what happened with Stardew Valley and uh, Harvest Moon, except, you know, Mario Maker 2 did come out uh, <laughs> yeah. a, a year before we launched Levelhead. And so we ended up like with the rush. There was all this stuff, right? So like it's it's very hard to do what what Concerned Ape did with Stardew Valley is like find that existing audience that nobody else is serving or planning on serving. Oh, man, that's tough. It's a rough one. Yep. Uh, all right, next question comes from Boopanoili Rolipa, who says, <laughs> who says, what content moderation lessons have you learned from working on games based on user-generated content, oh, such as Levelhead? Mm-hmm. Oh, my uh, God. The main lesson is avoid at all costs features that are going to require moderation, right? And yes. Or – sort of similarly design your features of the game with moderation in mind so that they minimize or remove the need to do it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So you'll see like, if you play level head, which is the one game we have where like we really have UGC so other people can see the stuff that you're making and it's designed around that. Like you're designed to share levels and you'll notice that like every aspect about it um, is designed to minimize how much players can weaponize things against each other. And mm-hmm. to minimize how they could exploit some feature to, you know, cause community harm in a way that would be moderatable, right? Um, and it was basically, it was a point of discussion all the way through the entire development was every time we'd be talking about something cool we wanted to do, we'd ask, okay, but will we then have to moderate this? And if so, we should probably lean towards not doing it or trying to find a way to, you know, change it so that that is something we have to do, right? So you'll still see this like we have... So the, the one thing you can really just kind of freely choose is your username and level head, right? Uh, but we also have an option to, like for you as the user, to not see people's chosen usernames, right? Where every user has a has a default random 
nearly guaranteed to not be offensive because it's it's impossible to actually do that right but like <laughs> nearly guaranteed to be inoffensive username um and you can just opt into only seeing those right and it's like on switch because they have like the detection of like the user whether it's a uh underage user or whatever right um uh, we just have it like then do that so it just only shows that content um, mm-hmm. and with like the titles, we have a fun little, we call it the title, the combobulator, right? Where you like plug words in and like, or select random things, right? From a pool of existing words. Um, and, and use that so that people can't just freely choose titles because, you know, it, it, we're trying to avoid that, <laughs> that chaos. Yeah. yeah but I, you can't, you, you can't avoid it. Like in, uh, was it Elden Ring kind of had something similar where you have, you could like choose words to put on signs or whatever. Yep. And then like the, the, what was the, the popular ones? Like something like finger in but the butthole. Hole. Yeah. Like, but B-U-T. Like, they didn't have B-U-T-T. <laughs> yeah. but of course, like, who cares? People just put butt. Like, so So you'd come across somebody had put a sign in the world just as, like, finger butthole, right? Yeah. Like, Which is why? Like, well, because. Yeah, cause, my opinion yeah. about most of those things is, like, who cares, right? It's, it's only when you yeah. have, like, people are actively, you know, uh, are it's actively like, trying to, like, throw slurs at each other or being, like, yeah. Malicious. Yeah, the other yeah. ring stuff is, falls in that category of, of things that are like it. The players feel like they're getting away with something and it ends yeah. up being kind of crass. But it's like it. Who cares? So you know? There's a huge like, difference between crass and hateful. Yes. Yeah. Like crass yeah. is just like oh, it's kind of like it's you know it's about something like sexual or some kind of body mm-hmm. function, which mm-hmm. is like it's just kind of goofy and whatever. Yeah. Um, who cares? But. Who cares? Yeah. I mean, for me, actually, the big moderation thing is something that that we unfortunately didn't really have a lot of control over. So we did do stuff like the the name combobulator and all this other stuff about text, right? Yeah. But but when we're publishing on these different platforms, Steam, Xbox, whatever, um, there's an expectation that we have, or, or in some cases even a hard requirement, that we have achieve an achievement system that's integrated into the achievement system of the platform. Mm-hmm. And we hate this. Like we yeah, hate, hate it. We hate this it because there's a subset of achievements users. are one of the worst features to go into games. I think. Yeah, it was cool so when it first a, came out, but now it's become a bad thing in my opinion. Yeah. Well, the problem is it's it's required and yeah. it, and it's and a, expected. It's a, it's a thing on a platform that like that that people view as like there's like collector players, these achievement hunters, where basically. You know, this is maybe like 0.1% of all people who use like Xbox or Steam or whatever. There's not that many of them. Yeah, but it but really what they fucks do, player incentives. Yeah, yeah, what they what these people do is they're like, I'm going to get every single achievement on every game that I play in whatever is the most efficient way possible, whether that be hacking, whether that be doing some kind of a weird exploit, or in the case of Levelhead, we have a couple of achievements about like publishing levels and uh, getting plays on your levels and stuff like that. So the the moderation burden that we've had is that, you know, we were forced to add all these achievements that hook into various platforms. So like we've got them. Um, and because they exist, some people come in and be like, oh, there's an achievement for publishing 30 levels. Okay. And then they just, they just clone the same level 30 times. And it's just like a touch the goal instantly be done kind of a thing. Um, and then they'll, they'll publish the same identical tiny level 30 times. And then they'll make a, a separate account that will just like be a bot that plays that level <laughs> just like a thousand times so they can get the achievement for having their levels played also. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's like, so and then for like, the most part, we've insulated things because of all the other design decisions in level head, right? Cause like you don't see random player levels until they've been boosted up into the market. Right. Yes. The whole idea there is, is it's supposed to have required that a person invest into playing other people's levels to get their level visible to people. Right. And, and we have so we have lots like if you look through the design aspects of the entirety of Levelhead, it's basically all designed around this idea that we're trying to we're trying to foster a positive community engagement between people creating and playing levels, and we're trying yeah. to minimize incentives or just you know outcomes, but positive outcomes for players who are trying to exploit it in some way. Yeah, uh, but. But when the incentives, because when the incentive is just like oh, players are playing your level, uh, there's actually just not a strong incentive to put in a lot of effort to then make that a bad experience for other players, right? Yes. Right. But when you start adding these like external incentives of you know the, the achievements and stuff, then it can be just heavy enough that a player can now just say, "Well, I don't care what the impact is on other players. I'm going to go get this thing." Right. But that's one of those things that like you, we do get to 
choose where to put the achievements, right? But what's strange about it is in certain game contexts, it'd be, like, it'd be weird. I think we can all agree, it'd be kind of weird if in Levelhead there were no achievements associated with publishing levels or getting plays, because that is yeah. essentially the point of the game. And so we have to throw that line where it's like, it feels correct. Where like, if you're a, if you are a player who is enjoying the game and you're playing it like a regular person does, um, it's awesome to get an achievement like that when you hit these certain milestones, right? Uh, and you, we have to sort of balance that against like, okay, well, if we put this in, we know that, yeah, there's going to be some people who flood, you know, who just come in and flood stuff because they're just trying to get that achievement. So you always we still chose them carefully to minimize like just how much people would be incentivized to do that stuff. Yeah. 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 And it's, it's so it's, it's only been a few times where we've had to come in and like mute somebody, which basically means like people can't see their levels anymore or whatever. Yeah. We're like, um, because yeah, a, a lot of our decisions too, when it comes to like people hacking their own games or whatever, it's like, okay, we don't care. We only care if, if what the player is doing adversely affects someone else. If somebody mm -hmm. ruins their own game experience, they like hack their game and make it crash or do some weird shit to it. Uh, that's fine. Like that you're having the experience <laughs> yeah. you signed up for, right? Taste your bliss. But, yep. Yeah. So that, that's that's the only time where we where we kind of worry about. But something that we've been talking about um, is there's also a content moderation problem when it comes to player developer interactions, which mm -hmm. is like if you have a you want to be able to receive feedback from your players about bugs or features they would like to see. And you also have to, whatever, to right? an extent, um, because once it's launched, yeah. you do. Yes. Yeah, cause, <laughs> yeah. Once it's launched, because platforms expect that. And, and presumably like, cause you also have to have a terms of service. Like if, once you're operating professionally and, and signing contracts and things, right. Mm -hmm. uh, there's an expectation that you are, there's some mechanism by which a player can reach out to you and say, Hey, my shit's broke. Um, fix yeah. it. But the problem is like, because almost, almost everybody is completely accustomed to being ignored whenever that whenever they're trying to get feedback to a company or get customer service or whatever they know that they're gonna be run around you know just get the run around and, and nothing will happen and so they come in guns blazing oh yeah most of the time very angry very inflammatory language but trying to be as loud you know it's kind of like like making yourself big, you know, to like scare off the bear, right? It's like mm -hmm. people come in all like inflated and, and enraged. Um, and it usually just takes like one response from the developer or whatever uh, to suddenly like tamp that down. Or the person's like, oh, depending shit. Like, on the response, but yeah. kind of depending. Yeah. yeah. And so we were like, you know, the problem is if they come in, if they come in hot, then it's, well, for starters, it kind of ruins your day if you read it. Right. Because yeah. yeah. they're all pissed off at you. And then and it's very hard for you to get your own emotions down enough uh, that you can write a, a reply that diffuses mm -hmm. the, the rage. Right. Because, you know, the rage might just be like, oh, yeah, like I, I, I did this thing and then it uh, my game crashed and then I lost one minute of progress. You know, <laughs> like that does happen. Whatever. Yeah. But it could and also so be we talking, like more understandable words like, oh, like I've been playing Crashlands for 30 hours, right? And I booted it up and now my all of my data appears to be gone, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. and that, that has happened as well. And, and there's weird stuff like maybe like the, the game was mid-save and then somebody's battery died, yeah, right? And so it's like corrupted, file got save corrupted. Yeah, yeah, like those kinds of things are rare and we try to do stuff to mitigate them, but we, you know, we can't cover every case. So sometimes people come in, in angry and we were talking about like, you know, it'd be really nice if we use something like uh, OpenAI's uh, ChatGPT API so that anytime, like all of our feedback requests that come in uh, actually get like de-angrified. Yeah, right? Sanitize so like, them emotionally so we can yeah, read them. We pass them over yeah. to ChatGPT and we're like, hey, can you make this, uh, can you change the tone of this message to be friendly while keeping the the overall point, right? Mm -hmm. And then like it would, and then it would show us that version of it, right? <laughs> so we could just reply, you know, not get all fired. I, was like, I think that'd be a great thing. Well, because I mean, to do, most you know? studios have a you know community manager or um, or QA have part of their role is basically these acting as the emotional shields. Yeah. For the dev team, right? Absorbing humanity's sins. Yeah, absorb the first hit and then convert it into something that you can actually be you know, make use of. And it's there's lots of talks on this, you know, if you look at GDC or whatever else, but like sort of just surviving that mentally is kind it's of so lot. much abuse. Yeah. You know? yeah. And it's and the more players you have, the bigger, you know, the more customer service you need, the bigger the dev team gets, the more people you have employed to just like be abused by by customers, yeah. you know, yeah. 
And the, and the wild thing is like games, games also have this disproportionate problem of like, it's like I, I play, I play well, I pay 13 bucks a month for my subscription. It's like same price as like Netflix or something. Right. And like in the grand, in the grand scheme of things out of my overall budget, $13 is not, it's not a, <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> if I, if I, you know, compare that to my mortgage or the, my food or whatever, it's, like, it's, not, it's, a, it's not a luxury good. In terms of it's, not a, it's, it's not a luxury good. And I'm not, I'm not like being put out on the street because I put so much money into this subscription. Like, right. It's, it's a small, it's a small piece of the pie, but it's an outsized piece of my attention and time. Mm-hmm. Right. Like Your I enjoyment. play the game a lot. I think about it a lot. It, and, and I put a lot of my life into it. And so it's very weird on the, on the uh, business side, because like they'll they'll hire customer service reps, and it's like each person who comes in is paying what like thirty cents a day to to use your mm-hmm. product, and and it's very hard to kind of like but they might be have playing some, it for a hundred hours of right. Month, it's like right? they yep. so they're coming in all like real enraged, and it's very hard on the business side to to shake this feeling of like this person is getting such a great deal. What are they so <laughs> mad about? <laughs> Like, sure, they had a little setback, but like 30 cents a day? I mean, come on. Like, if you wanted perfect service, like, you know, maybe pay, maybe pay a little more. You know? <laughs> yeah. and, I, I don't know, and I do think this is uh, this is one of those under under appreciated, underserved uh, areas of, of running a game studio is actually planning ahead of time and like in the, you know, especially prior to a launch, but just in general for – what the surface area of interactions between you and the customer yes. base looks like. And, critical. And, and, and yeah, and I think the the core strategy as as you guys are talking about currently is just to throw human shields mm-hmm. in the middle, like in between the studio and the public, and just let them like absorb the damage until they have a mental break and leave the industry forever. Right. Like that's like that's basically currently the business model for how that works. Um, but you'll you'll notice like if you look through how we've set up all of our uh, like if you go to our website and go to our support system, right, you'll notice that everything is designed to try to both pre-filter so we just have less stuff coming through, but not in a way that's too aggravating, hopefully, right? But mm-hmm. sort of pre-filter so we just reduce how much stuff comes in. Um, but then you'll also notice like if you do try to like leave feedback in our feedback system, there's like six little things you have to agree to as you go through. And all of them are oriented towards towards reminding you that there's people on the other side, and encouraging you to like not be an ass, right? Like that kind of stuff. But also when you like through our our contact system, which is a kind of its own separate thing, if you submit something, um, that it goes to your inbox first so that you have a chance to reread it. And then you have to like follow a link to actually make it so that we see it, right? And we found that that alone cut down an enormous amount of stuff, like once we implemented that, where people, you know. There's, there's a time delay too, isn't there? There's not a time, but it's just like flipping or between just like, apps and stuff. Yeah. So it's just like yeah. the inherent delay. Right. And so, so now when people like go on there, you know, they're in a rage and they type something up really fast and they hit submit. Right. And they flip over their email. Right. Which they're probably also mad about, but then they like flip over their email and they look, and they look over what they said. Right. And the email itself also prefaces it with a reminder. Hey, like the, these are people, blah, 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 like tries, again, tries to reframe everything in a, in a positive way, but still tries to frame everything so that we're trying to make people just rethink what they're about to do. Um, and we actually don't get very much. Yeah, that, that has, no. that has cut down on the volume and the, the toxicity yeah. tone. Yeah. That's uh, why we don't use like, it was already pretty good, but it was already pretty good. Twitter, Facebook, um, yeah, for any of those service. things where we actually have no capability in terms of, uh, you know, formatting what a request coming in looks like. Yep. We, after Crashlands, the truth is like, we've talked about it many times, but after the initial launch of Crashlands, even though it was a great time, because you could see all these players enjoying the game. Uh, it was I think also that, a that, terrible time. Yeah, the key lesson for moderation is that it really is the fact that very few people are going to come at you with that kind of level of negativity. But the the amount of like the amount of damage that it causes yeah, the impact. you as a person. Yeah, it doesn't matter. If it's, it's, really if it's 0.1% of your players come at you enraged that will ruin your week oh you know? it's just, if yeah you, it's not good if you got a hundred thousand players you know that's still going to be a substantial number of people just coming at yeah. you swinging yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, so which nobody needs we yeah. basically pulled back from every every platform where we're not able to manage those sorts of things um or we have a very light touch approach where even our you know even our qa team is told to like not 
to if, if we're going to do like, oh yeah, go check the reviews and whatever else. It happens like once a week on a particular day. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, a, it's not a thing that we are asking people to do every single day of the week. Um, because it's it's also one of the things that I think if you if you bucket it then you can you know, kind of gear up for it and then it's like oh here's I'm gonna go read some stuff today but if it's just happening constantly and you're getting barrage it's just it's way too much yeah and yeah, a lot of it is we just kind of we rely on just like a filter based approach right where uh, we we try to have a clean enough product that goes out that's already we try to design everything to minimize just all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's the whole shift left philosophy, right? Just like remove the possibility as much as you can of these things even happening. Yes. And then on the other side, we we still rely on mechanisms to just reduce, like Sam said, some batching mechanisms for when we look at it. We we openly talk in the studio constantly about like you're gonna see this stuff, and you know, so like if it's if it's bogging you down, then we need to talk about how to avoid it, you know, and how to fix it and this kind of stuff, right? So we openly talk about how that you don't have to put up with this. That's not an expectation in the studio that players just get to abuse you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then we actually rely on our, our really engaged, positive community. Who's like in our discord and stuff. Like many of the mm-hmm. problems that we eventually like discover and deal with are things that are brought to the attention of like somebody on our team, just through like the really positive members of our community who are like, Oh, Hey, mm-hmm. the website's been down for an hour or whatever. Right. Or, you know, or, or like, Oh, Hey, we've, we've seen a bunch of people come in saying stuff about having trouble with their saves doing mm-hmm. something weird or whatever. Right. And, and so by having these mechanisms where you're fostering positive communities, you're reducing toxicity in every level and, and treat customer service and moderation and community management as all part of the same, like, collection. it's all, it's all design problems. It's all yeah. the same set of design yeah. problems, really. Uh, then you can, end, and, and it is, I think, essential because like, yeah, like Sam said, post Crashlands launch, OG Crashlands, like, whew. And it was more, it was more of a volume problem than anything. It was just, yes. There was so, and we were checking everything. We were like, we wanted to know every single piece of feedback that everybody had. And what we've learned since then is that we actually want to get as little feedback as possible. We want the yes. the stuff that's important enough that it's going to come to the top. And we only want to receive that in a way that isn't going to ruin our day, right? And, and so we try to design for that. And actually with this, this like putting open AI in the loop thing, like that'll be easy to do. And I think we're going to have to do it before we launch Crashlands 2. Um and uh, and it'll make it'll make our lives that much better, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm pretty pumped. And also by that point, I mean, who the hell knows what it'll be capable of? Because yeah, knows it's quite a ways off. Still. <laughs> uh, our next question comes from Quantum Anomaly, who says, "Oh, great and wise brothers three, I beseech thee." <laughs> The Bscotch the book list is an amazing trove of knowledge on many things, but I wonder, do you have any good book suggestions that helped you understand your own flavor of neurospiciness, things that gave you better tools to cope with, understand, or manage being neurodivergent? Mm-hmm. So just as a point of clarification, because uh, this is kind of like I, – I, it didn't occur to me until recently that even like the term neurodivergent is something that – it's not both, most no. most people don't actually know, which is like there's what's for just neuro neurotypical and neuroatypical or neurodivergent. So it's like basically, does your brain work in the way that most people say that brains do work, yeah. or or is it different from that? Yeah. Right, which so, isn't necessarily even how brains do work, right? But it's about is the world designed for how your brain works or not? Right along some right, dimension. so that's where that's where things like you know when we talk about ADHD or autism or whatever, where it's just like you know you you can depending on degrees of severity, right? Like you can do a lot of the things that that most people do, and there's also in many cases masking that comes in where it's like yeah, your your brain is handling things differently, but you're gonna like you know pretend like yeah it's working the same just so you can get by in social situations you know that kind of stuff so anyways that's what that's what neurodivergence is about yeah. and so. neurospicy is just uh like i have a suspicion that quantum anomaly is on tiktok because that's that's where that's where i see that the most but it's it's one of those like <laughs> neurospicy is one of these embraced uh uh euphemisms i guess that that the neurodivergent community like likes to use on stuff right because uh, it's you know it's more fun and positive right than than neurodivergent yeah and my my suspicion is that you know the average person almost doesn't exist oh um, yeah no everyone's and, dealing and, yeah. one way or another there's, <laughs> there's yeah, too yeah. many dimensions you would have to be average in right to be the average person so there probably is like of uh, the average person out there right but they aren't 
representative, actually, right? So honestly, their averageness might be so weird. Yeah, it is actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it makes that, that might be the most boring person again. in the world. It's like, <laughs> all right, I've got, I'm, I'm the exact average height. I have a 100 <laughs> IQ. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, literally along every dimension. Like, again, somebody out there is average, right? Like, like literally. Average, but they, I think got, they got two point five children. You know, yeah, but it's <laughs> little, I think it's. Like, I mean, this is a little bit of a tangent, but that idea of like, because when we say average, we mean representative, right? Yes, but those actually aren't synonyms, right? Um, because like average literally means like oh, we just like try to find some way of representing the middle, right? Mm-hmm. Which doesn't mean it's representative of the group just because it's in the middle, right? And so if you're talking about like the Average person, it's like, well, average at what? And so you have to take all these different dimensions into account and so on, right? But yeah, but like the average height isn't representative of height. Yeah. As an example, if you have two legs, you have an above average number of legs. Yeah. That's true. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. (laughs) Because, you know, it's hard to have three, (laughs) but it's easy to have one or zero, you know? Yeah. So. Uh, well, books have you guys yeah. read then that have uh, oh, yeah. what was the have, question? Have you read any? <laughs> yeah, books that you've read books, that have offered yeah. some kind of clarity about uh, yeah, yeah. spiciness. So I'll say I haven't I haven't actually read, which is kind of like obvious if you think about it. I haven't really read any books on ADHD. Mm-hmm. You know, I just have a hard time kind of focusing. <laughs> uh, no, but I, I I have read I've read a lot about ADHD. Like watched a lot of uh, you know YouTube videos and stuff, just kind of in various forms. Um, and people sharing their experiences or or psychologists talking about, you know, how it works, that kind of thing. Uh, and what's been really interesting about it is just that it has made me go back and rethink uh, my interpretation and understanding of books that I had read or was like a big advocate for. So uh, like the life-changing magic of tidying up, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, why did that resonate so hard with me? Um, and it's because if there's a lot of things around, like a lot of clutter, then I have a hard time focusing on stuff. You know, like I just, I got to like, I need to get rid of things. And so when I, when I read that book and then I, I did it, I just felt so much better. And like, everything was just so much easier in my life, but that may not actually be true for many people. They mm. may not care about clutter. They may not bother. Yeah. And it's like, oh, okay. That makes sense. Why that was such a big deal for me. And there's a whole bunch of other books like mm-hmm. power of habit and, you know, all that kind of stuff. It all kind of comes down the same track, which is I felt like I needed to read those books for a reason and they helped me for a reason, but that reason may not actually apply. Well, presumably the opposite is also true, right? That there are probably some books that you had heard were supposed to be important and life-changing and stuff and that Mm -hmm. weren't. And the problem is you forget those instantly. But if you could remember what those books (laughs) were, right? And then you and then thought back now knowing you have ADHD, you could be like, oh, actually, like there's probably interesting reasons why this didn't resonate in those books. Oh, it happens all the time. I I actually have a a word for those books. I call them sentence books, which is this book could have been a sentence. Like (laughs) I'll I'll be reading it and they'll be like, here's this this like idea that I'm trying to get across. And then it's just like every single fucking chapter is like, here's another study that shows why this sentence I said at the beginning of the book is true. And Mm -hmm. it just, the whole book is 200 pages of just various anecdotes and studies that go back to the original sentiment. And I run out of steam, like real quick, 15% of the way through those books. I'm like, I get it. Mm -hmm. I get it. It's fine. We can move on. Just (laughs) all filler. I think I did. I have read, um, I think it was, I think it's called, I was trying to look it up, but I, in in one of those like uh, two factor authentication moments where everything needs my, some code for this. I can't look it up right now, but, um, (laughs) This is my book list somewhere. I think it's called ADHD 2.0, I think, uh, is the book, um, which I found useful. It's it's written by, the, I think, the, the two sort of original authors who had talked about it, you know, and labeled ADD back in like the late 80s or something like that. Um, I can't remember exactly the timeline for this stuff, but they talk about sort of all the updated research and and also just like updated strategies and kind of what it what it means to have it, you know, and it's it's a honestly it's a good book and it's it's well done and it's kind of funny because of course they preface it Seth to your point with that like we know we don't got a lot of time <laughs> <Don't Yeah. worry. laughs> this book is for people with ADHD uh, I also feel like the more I've learned about ADHD or ADD depending on you know when you when heard about it from um, <laughs> yeah. both of those names um, don't actually like it's, it's, it's attention anything. deficit hyperactivity disorder or attention deficit disorder, but but it, it, what it actually is, it's an attention threshold disorder. Yes, 
Well, it's right. an inability like, to control attention disorder, right? Yeah, well, yeah, which is that like you're the the threshold by which your brain decides what what you need to be thinking about and what you don't need to be thinking about is different than the threshold for people who don't have this, mm-hmm. right? So it's like you just can't help but be thinking about a lot of things. If all anything, at once, you have too sort much of uncontrollably. Attention. Yeah, yeah. It's a, yeah, it's a, it's a, yeah, and so it it's described as attention deficit disorder because the way that it manifested. In in consequences mm-hmm. of of like your interactions is that if you're talking to somebody with ADHD, you'll notice that they sometimes don't seem to be paying attention to you, which is like this person has a deficit of attention. And it's like no no no, that's you're just you're only thinking about yourself. Like it's not that they have a deficit of attention; they just have way too much attention, and they're splitting it among lots of things, mm-hmm. and you just happen to be upset. You know that you're not one of the things that they're paying attention to. Right, right. you're not the <laughs> most, most quote unquote important, right? Because it doesn't matter how important. If you have ADHD, it doesn't matter how important a thing is, right? That doesn't yeah, control it, your whether or not you're you can pay attention to it, right? Because the threshold is does it exist? Yeah, and then you're paying <laughs> attention right. to it, yeah. and and then yeah, it, yeah, the whole like, well, it's important. The whole, like people say like, oh, if it was important, you'd remember and that kind of stuff, right? Like that just yeah. isn't true. I mean, for anybody actually, that's one of those kind of bullshit things that sounds true but isn't. But it's particularly not true for people who have ADHD and, and other neuro spicy you know traits. Mm-hmm. I um, wish it was true. That'd be dope. It would, yeah, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, it'd be so like fucking it, useful if that was true. I think it's more like if it if it's stressful and urgent, yeah, you have a higher that. chance of remembering. Yep. It has nothing to do with importance, you know. Like the most some of the most important things is like invest in your four hundred one k. Go to your doctor every six mm-hmm. months for a, that's shit. You can forget that instantly. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's important. But yeah, I would say yeah, all all of the basically all of the productivity books and stuff like that are attempts at understanding the self through a lens of a thing you're trying to fix probably because you have some kind of neurospiciness, you know, which is like, Hey, yeah, I'm having a hard time paying attention to things that feel like they're obviously important. You know, why is that hard? And, and how can I not have that be a problem? It's like, Oh, we'll try, try using a getting things done system or it's like, Oh, you know, dealing with these uh, context switches in the workplace. It's just kind of killing my morale, making me want to die. Then it's like, Oh, well read DevOps and figure out like, all these things are just yeah, or read like read deep work, you know, yep, which yep. resonated with all three of us for obvious reasons in retrospect. Yeah, <laughs> I think oh yeah, actually <laughs> it resonated less with me than it did with with the two of you, which I think is like in retrospect mm-hmm. also interesting, right? Um, because like so many of the because like the overall like message and vibe, I'm like yeah, that like this makes sense, right? But the practical details of how to do it, all those were like this would only make things worse for me, right? And I, th- I think that to me that's one of the most important. Realizations, I think, with this idea of you know, in retrospect, thinking of things that you've that you've read, is again, it's separating the idea of what should work or what sh- you should be able to do versus what the reality actually is, right? Because because you can th- you can take any technique like the Pomodoro technique or certain kinds of like blocking the day or certain kinds of listing management things or whatever, right? And any one of those, depending on the kind of brain you've got, could be extremely useful or extremely right. counterproductive, right? And so, so, so much of what like our our own each of our personal journeys have been through all the readings that we've been doing over time has been not knowing exactly how our brains were, nor how they differed from like the authors who were trying to tell us how we could do things in a better way, right? Um, and then trying to apply that approach to our lives without actually being able to meaningfully like investigate and think about like, okay, how does this approach make sense given how our brains work? Because we didn't really know how to think about how our brains worked, right? It was still couched in terms of like, well, it should be like our brains should, this shouldn't be hard, right? Like our brains should just do this or whatever. And, and so that was how, at least I tended to read all of those books, right? So that, when I then went and tried to apply a technique, my and it didn't work, my response would be, or my internal response would be, oh, like, I guess I'm just bad at this, you know? Like, that's the, mm. versus the reality of like, oh, this technique doesn't make just sense. It's like we're on to the next one. Yeah. Wearing a poorly fitting sweater, you know? It's like, it's just, it's not the sweater for you. It's fine. Yep. Yeah. Is it sweaters that are the problem or mm-hmm. is it just this one? Yeah. yeah. You got to be able to disentangle it. Yeah. So I would, I, as for books, um, I would say I've tried to read a bunch of books on on uh, autism in particular, but but also ADHD. Uh, but most of what I've actually gotten of value has been from like 
being on TikTok and following people who have ADHD or autism and just talk about their experiences, right? And and there's actually this kind of interesting movement in the autistic adult community of this, there's this like clash between autistic adults and then the psycho- psychiatrists and psychologists who study them who are mostly not uh, autistic, right? Mm-hmm. And there's like this ongoing, increasingly kind of uh, negative oh, battle going on right now, which is, yeah, because like, because... Yeah, it, I, yeah, I'm not going to go into the details because I don't think most people wouldn't care. But it is very interesting if you go like onto those subsets of like Twitter and other places. Because right? what you're saying is, it's like there's people with autism going onto TikTok and saying like, here's here's how here's what my experience has been, or here's something that I've gone through. And mm-hmm. then on the flip side, you've got psychiatrists or psychologists, whatever, uh, coming in being like, that's not. Yeah, that's how not that works. That's not it's technically like, it or yeah. Yeah, it's like, yeah, it's it's like up, but that's but what it, happened to me. So yeah, but it's also because like <laughs> it's coming from the medical perspective, right? And the medical perspective comes from the idea that that deviations from the norm are uh, deficits. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, disorders. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's a deficit based model. Um and, and so one of the one of the most important things I learned, which which um, was probably from my wife, like because she's been surveying the whole world of all of this information for a few years now. Um, so I don't think that's like sourced in any one book or anything, but um, is about the social model of disability versus the medical model of disability, mm. right? Where the medical model says, you're different, there's something wrong with you, right? It's a deficit compared to what's normal. And so that's a problem that we now identify and then treat, you know, medically, right? right? Just like versus, we're talking about with, with ADHD, it's like yeah. deficit is like in the name, even though it, yeah, exactly. it actually is not a deficit at all. Yeah. Anything. <laughs> yeah, versus the social model, which basically says people vary, right? And your ability okay, I'm with you so far. Your ability <laughs> to get by in the world depends on the structures that society has put in place and how hard they are for any given person along that variation, right, to navigate, right? And so it's really easy to understand when it comes to like physical disabilities like a, like a wheelchair user, right? Like is going to have trouble reaching up high, right? Mm-hmm. There's like, there's some very like obvious things like that where it's like, so that's why we have like in the US, we have the uh, ADA, which is terribly enforced and, yeah. and not very good, but way better than nothing, right? And so that's why we have wheelchair ramps places and that kind of stuff, right? Um, but without that, everything was designed at, you know, like average person height, right? Which mm-hmm. definitely discounts people in wheelchairs and stuff, right? And, but the idea is that, well, why is that person disabled, right? Are they disabled because they're in a wheelchair? Because disability means you can't do something, right? So like if you can't flip a light switch because it's out of reach, is it because you're disabled or because the light switch is just too high? Right. Because right. so, <laughs> you can just keep putting it higher until a shorter person can't reach, right? Yeah. yeah, taller yeah the, social model, reach, right? the social model yeah. basically points out that it's all about the interaction between between yourself and the, and the structures world. that exist, right? And yeah. so it's not it's and not, the structures are artificial and created by Society yeah, we made already. we made everything. So it's like, yeah, if yep. you if if it's the case that um, yeah, you you need a light switch in a lower or higher place. We I mean, talk about like really tall people aren't yeah, referred to yeah, as disabled, exactly. but like they can't fit in fucking anything. Yeah, tall. You know I mean? Yeah, well, really tall well, people are actually disabled, right? But we don't think of it that way because tallness is thought of as a good trait, right? <laughs> yeah, and you can never have enough of it. Yeah, you, you know? just keep going. I've read, I've read stories about like Andre the Giant trying to travel and like he he couldn't fly in yeah. a typical. He literally could not fit mm-hmm. in any place on a typical plane. So he would have to have like a separate private flight or so get a giant helicopter. And then like he'd go to the he'd go to the hotel and he had to shit in the bathtub because he couldn't, <laughs> he couldn't sit on the toilet. Because he couldn't fit in the area where the toilet was. And also if he sat on the toilet, the dude weighed like 700 pounds. <laughs> so like yeah. he would just like crush the toilet. Uh, yeah, and like, and, yeah, and, and like nothing is designed for this person. But again, like you're talking about, it's a it's an interaction. Pe- people will, pe- yeah, people will talk about a a lack of something as a as a disability, but not too much of something as a disability. Yeah, right. And yeah, so and like, sometimes they do, but it's more rare, right? Because it's thought of like in these good terms. But but that, that again is the idea of like the social versus medical model of disability. I think the main problem that I've always had with with books about ADHD and autism is they're all couched in the medical model of disability, right? Which basically just says, oh, you're, you're broken. Here's how you're broken. Here's all the ways you're responsible for addressing it, right? And like, here's all the things you should be doing to like make your life easier, right? But things that are more couched in the social model uh, tend to be about, like, well, here's how you can like work with your workplace. Here's how you can work with your friends and family. Here's how you can, like, basically it's much more about like 
It's context. not that there's something wrong with you. It's that the context in which you're in doesn't match the, the, the traits that you have. So given that there's nothing wrong with you and the world is broken, actually, like how can you now deal with that fact? And so the, and many of the tips are going to be the same, right? But it really does matter a lot how it's framed when you're mm-hmm. working through this stuff. So I think the, the, the one book that I think I would recommend for at least for autism is Unmasking Autism, um, which is more focused on uh, on women with autism because they're also underserved by the medical community because uh, the medical model of autism is like focused on young boys, right? And so women it does ADHD too. It's ADHD too. Yep, exactly. So yeah, so they don't they don't do a good job of actually like understanding. Well, what about also specifically white young white boys, right? Um, and so it doesn't take into account the context that that oppressed groups have because that completely changes what these things look like to them because their survival mechanisms to deal with the fact that they're autistic or ADHD or whatever have to be different. So their masking is different. Their the end result is different. Right. And so this book actually does a good job of, of talking about things from a social model of disability and then also you know, focusing on, uh, not just what it means to be a, a white adolescent who has who has autism, right? Right. Um, so that's that's really the, the only book I can really even recommend um, at this point. All the rest I've just disliked for various reasons. Um, but I, but I would encourage anybody who wants to dig deeper into this stuff um, to go into the the active community of of your fellow people who have the same divergences that you've got, right? Uh, because at minimum, and, and like, there's a lot of misinformation there too, of course, right? Because yeah, I was gonna say, talking, right? <laughs> watch out yeah. for that. Because people yeah, don't, don't go there, like, <laughs> yeah, looking for truth, right? Because if you do, like, the first, you know, the first thing you'll discover is like, all of a sudden, everything is an autistic trait, right? Yep. Uh, yep. And like, yeah, it's so, easy to go down a very weird rabbit. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> yeah. It really is. But but it but that's to me that was a place where like you know you, you still treat things skeptically, but you get to hear. I think the most important thing for it's me is experiential. Has been, yeah. Yeah. Is actually just hearing other people's experiences and. And realizing that, like, oh, like I, getting a better understanding of myself relative to people describing their actual fucking experiences rather than these medical things that say, like, from the outside, here's what it looks like is happening, right? Um, mm-hmm. With no nuance and no context or anything. Um, so that's what I would recommend. Yeah, I mean, and, and there's also, like, like you're saying, when it's, it's easy for people to see this when it comes to physical stuff. Right. Yeah. Where if you're just like, I, I don't have legs. So stairs are a big problem for me. People are like, oh, yeah, I see that. Mm-hmm. Right. It's but hard to argue problem, against. Right. Yeah. You're like, OK, fair. Right. But when, when it comes to mental stuff, um, there's yeah, a the, the attitude is like, just get over it. This is kind of. Yeah. Because yeah. it's because you say problem. like. Like 90% of the time, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, well, well, it's, it's a communication and trust, right? Because if you say like, hey, this thing that you're asking me to do or the way that you're asking me to do it is really fucking hard for me. Can we do this in a different way? Right. But like they may see that and go, what are you talking about? This is fucking easy and you're smart. Figure it out. Right. Mm-hmm. Except like, or they'll they, say, they well, it's hard for me too, because they don't understand the difference. In right. And so, right? yeah. So it's because they can't see, you know, in, they can't see like that thing that's going on in your brain that looks different to what's going on in their brain. Right. It, and so uh, there's a lot of like, you, you just get so much pushback when you're trying to ask or have people sort of like work with you on these like ways that you're different from them in, uh, mentally. And oftentimes you will feel like you have to just constantly be uh, trying to convince somebody that this is a real problem and mm-hmm. that, you know, uh, you're not just like trying to get out of it or trying to be lazy or you know, <laughs> whatever mm-hmm. the, the case may be. Um, and I think that's, that's something that's just kind of like I think it's going to be an ongoing battle for just a long time. Oh yeah, um, it'll it'll until keep going. Just, but yeah, but so many of the accommodations too, depending on what's going on for a person, can just be so easy, you know? Because it's like because yeah. like open floor plan, worst thing for almost every neurodivergence in the universe, right? Honestly, it's uh, the worst thing for everybody. It's for actually for everybody, right? But particularly bad for if you have ADHD and can't can you know manage your focus. But hey, noise canceling headphones, right? But there are some workplaces that don't allow you to wear headphones right <laughs> so there, there's like there's like or, or like if you're in a meeting right like again also meeting is you know adhd kryptonite right um but if you're allowed to stand up and like move around yeah. or if you're allowed to use a fidget because other people are you know don't get weird about that like all of a sudden you can participate and focus and be part of the meeting right um, but again like workplaces have these stringent rules in place of like if you're if you're being distracting by managing your own distractibility, right? Then now you're a problem. So sit still and, and also and for autistic people, it's like 
I need you to look me in the eye so that I know that you are paying attention and understand what I'm taking, right? But for an autistic person, like looking away makes it a lot easier to process what's going on, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so like when an ADHD or an autistic person is like not looking at you is usually when they're actually paying attention, right? So these like these like these little things that are actually easy to accommodate, even those aren't being accommodated. Um because well, because what it they look like the opposite of what it looks like to be engaged. Yeah, yeah exactly. I think, but I think the, there's a, a problem there too, which is that like the conversation I think that doesn't work is just saying something like, "Look, I need to look away, and you're gonna have to deal with that." Like, I just need to look away. It's because because again, this is comes down to like different people need different things in this particular scenario. So if someone's like, "I just need to know that you are paying attention," and I don't know how to read that given who you are, that's what's happening, right? Simple. It's just like if, yeah, if there's any other communication problem, right? So coming in and just saying like, look, I'm just going to be looking away and I'm going to be spinning a fidget spinner every time we're having me is not a solution yet. You know what I mean? There's a two-parter here, which is the other person being able to say, I need to understand what it looks like when you are engaged so I can know like where I'm at in the conversation, if I need to back up, if you're missing something, you know, et cetera. I do need some form of feedback, right? So where can we... What can we do? This, this is, I think, what it comes down to. Constructing a solution together to find something that works. Right. Because both, both groups, both groups have things that they need. Right. Yes. And so you need to be able to talk through uh, the expectations on both sides and the reason for, for those expectations so that you can come to a a, a, a nice solution that works. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah better, helps, better for everybody. That's not going to yeah. work great for everybody necessarily, but works better for everybody. You know? and, and, <laughs> and, the, and I agree. The problem, the problem like, like typically with this is that because this is always couched in like, well, the neurotypical way is the right way, right? Like that's like, yeah. then yeah, the yeah. conversation always becomes, sure. how do you get where, I, basically, how do you do what I need you to do? Always becomes a conversation, right? Um, it's a little too focused on the specifics. So you're probably like eye contact, yeah. like, okay, yeah. How, but how do I get you to make eye contact? It's like, just drop the fucking eye contact. What do you need the eye contact for? You yeah, know, what's go back doing? up a layer abstract yeah. a little bit. Yeah, but it is, but it is, it is a meeting of needs, right? Like, if, if, it, if it is says, always I, best as a discussion. You have to figure yes. out. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. if because if somebody says, "I I need you to make eye contact with me," uh, so that I understand, you know, whether or not you understand what I'm yeah. saying, right? But then if the other person says. I need you to not need me to make eye contact. Well, but but these are totally those are the wrong terms, right? Because if a person says like, "I need you to make eye eye contact," so I know you're paying attention, that doesn't make any sense because eye contact doesn't mean I'm paying attention, and in fact, means I'm not. Right. So like, right. Because I, because right, yeah, you're just but, focusing but on I'm saying, I'm saying, but, <laughs> but in that in that case, oftentimes you won't even have the second part of that sentence, which is really the, the important part. I yeah. need to know that you're paying attention is actually what's happening. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. getting and, and, yeah, fixated people, on a specific version of what that looks like, right? Yeah. Um, well, yeah. it's because people are are again there because they're, they're still focusing on that on the normalized concept of like of equating like eye contact with attention, right? right? Which is actually that part isn't true. And as soon as you understand that that part isn't true, now you get to have the discussion of okay, what are we actually trying to accomplish? Which is exactly you got to know if people can pay attention because the context allows for that uh, and are right. And even for that, like, why do you need to know that? Because because if you do, it's probably in a context where like you're well, in a if big you have a conversation with someone, or you're trying to like make sure that they understand what you're saying. It's yeah, it's well, wild to say like you don't get any cues. Well, no, but there's also a matter of trust player. there too, right? Because like if if someone's struggling to understand, and you're like having one on one conversation, hopefully they would be like, "Hey, I'm having trouble understanding," right? Yeah, hundred uh, percent. Yeah. So and, and that's where all the nuance comes in. But they like, don't have to do look you... at you when they say that. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. So yeah, and I think. I think it's like a, a final note, you know, it is when we're talking about the state of like talking through these things and, you know, if we say, oh, it's like, it's, it's easy to make an accommodation. Uh, like if, if you're talking to somebody. Yeah, certain say, accommodations. Yeah. 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 So certain accommodations. <laughs> certain right. Um, but what I think is, is always the challenge is like, it, it's not about something being easy. It's about it being new. Right. Yeah. So like the fact mm-hmm. that like, you know, what was real easy putting on a mask during a pandemic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Super fucking easy, <laughs> <true>. right? <laughs> yep. But but many people have this oppositional issue where, like, if you if if you ask them to change their behavior, yeah, that is a like, personal fuck attack. Yep. Fuck you, mm-hmm. go away, right? And and any kind of accommodation you ask for, even if it's you're asking somebody to do something for their own protection. Mm-hmm. Because you asked them to do something that they weren't already planning on doing, 
that is you taking, trying to take control of their life or take, like take yeah. decisions away from them. Right. Yeah. And, and that's what happens to that most, pushback, yeah, know? most neurodivergent so. people or disabled people, physically disabled people. That's what they run into, right? Is they actually just don't ask for accommodations because they know that the response is going to be that is going to be, mm-hmm. well, how do I not do that though? Right. And, and, and it, and it just like universally is like, if you, if you listen to anybody's lived experience as a disabled person of any type, right. It's, it's, you guys get the sense of just like, it isn't worth the fight because it's just always a fight. Right. And so mm-hmm. also for listeners who are not neurodivergent in any way, please pay more attention to this for the people around you uh, <laughs> because it makes a huge difference about how you respond in those situations and having somebody there to, to also to back a person up. Right. And, because uh, because basically disabled people of, of all types are always left having to somehow prove that the thing that they're asking for is a reasonable request, right? Um, and that's where the conversation starts rather than like Sam was saying, like, how do we actually have a conversation about how do I get to express what's true for me or you believe me? Yeah. And then we start from there and then figure out, okay, how do we make this work, right? Because if most people, most like able-bodied neurotypical people start from the position of disbelief and of oppositional defiance, right? And so at at minimum, like if you're finding yourself doing that, and, and but also this is true for anybody who just isn't uh isn't different along a particular dimension that somebody else is, right? Even if yeah, you I are disabled, if somebody else has a different disability, you're, there's a really good chance you're gonna do the human thing and be like, oh, I don't know about that one. You know? Well it's, like, yeah, it's, well, it's well, a different it's, than understood experience, real. right? Yeah, yeah. It's 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 it has actually almost nothing to do with with disability or neurodivergence or anything else. It's just that Yeah, you're just more likely lives, to be aware of the idea that people can vary if you significantly if you, vary from exactly what average. Yeah, but it but in a way that makes it such that your experience is the only thing you know. So yeah. when someone else is like, I'm having this experience, you're like, what? But are you though? That's yeah. that's normally what the response is. And it's not like an, it's not a crazy thing to say because the but reality it, is like Well, it is a, a crazy thing to say. Or no, it's not crazy. It's a really bad thing to respond yes. with. Yes. Yeah. 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 But your I response should always believe uh, should always be, I believe you. And then internally, it's totally fine to say I don't get it. You shouldn't get it if it's not your experience, because how the fuck could you, right? Like, mm-hmm. it doesn't make any sense to be like, I don't get it, therefore, like, I don't believe it, right? When it's about somebody else's lived experience, you know? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, but I don't get it as a, as a cop-out, though, because, like, it's more that, like, I don't relate. But, yeah, but I guess that's what people mean, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah but it's, uh, it's like, it's, it's, it's. Well, like they're, can, they're actually just saying that's not my experience. Therefore, it's not your experience, right? Yeah. It's, like, well, these are conversations people have about like uh, about everything. gay couples or something. Right? Yeah. Like, I just don't get it. It's like you do though, right? Because like you're married, you have a spouse. They're married. They're they're together. It's this. It's you get you get that concept of like people being a couple, right? Yeah. <laughs> but it's also what you're saying is what you're saying is you. this doesn't look <laughs> like what I expected, yeah. which is different from saying I literally don't understand this, right? Uh, but, but again, yeah, it's all, it's all about like, uh, if, if you're a person who fits the mold of how the world is, is kind of set up, then you're incredibly accustomed to not being inconvenienced, right? <laughs> like yep. that's, that's just the way that you operate. And this is, we referred to as privilege, right? Yep. Um, you, you just don't get inconvenienced by things because things are set up for you. Uh, and so then what happens if somebody comes in who needs an accommodation, that is them, uh, that's a person who is inconvenienced by almost everything all the time transferring some a small little nugget little, a little of their inconvenience yep. over to you and the the outrage from that transfer is just immense right yeah. <laughs> of like hey let's share in this inconvenience a little bit like you can help me and i know it's going to be like a little bit more mental effort for you to use my correct pronouns or like respect the fact that i have a hard time making eye contact or mm-hmm. you know whatever right like yeah. it's, it's gonna, just yeah. it's just a it's going to make, just, yeah, right, yeah. Because, like, yeah, I get I'm, it. If, like, if you need eye contact to feel comfortable and I need no eye contact to feel comfortable, right, there is no middle point where we're both content. That's not gotta a figure thing, out right? You got to figure out something else. Yeah. Just and everybody, so it just everybody's going to be a little bit uncomfortable, right? And the goal isn't to, like, solve the problem and be like, okay, here's a way where everybody's comfortable now, right? It's a way to transfer the discomfort, you know, like. Share up. it. You know? It's to share it, but it's also <laughs> to transfer some of the burden that people who, have a lot more discomforts they have to deal with. Just like tr- trying to train. It's like, I like I, when I think of this for things that like, look, as a white dude, right? Like anything I can transfer onto myself that other people have to deal with. Like that's actually just good. Even if I hate it, <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. that's actually 
Because even, even if you I hate it, it's a I don't small, need them, tiny percentage. Yeah, I don't need them to share. <laughs> yeah, I don't need them to like meet me. Like I don't need them to meet me halfway somewhere, right? Um, really, I should just take that on because, like, if you have the privilege to take it on, like that's what you should what you should strive for. Um, yeah, but as what's the saying? It's like if you're if you're on top, then equality looks like oppression, right? Yeah. Like, some, <laughs> if you've never been inconvenienced in your life, and somebody comes in and they're like, "Wow, literally everything is an inconvenience for me. Can you kind of help me with this a little bit?" And then you're just like, "Fuck that! <laughs> yeah. I'm out of here," <laughs> because yeah. you suddenly have to think about what you're doing for the first time in your life. You know, mm-hmm. which is hard. It is hard. Yeah. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Uh, it's not to say that any of this is easy. No. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, it's all hard. Straightforward, for, but, but hard. It's, yeah. <laughs> Straight, it's, yeah. It's simple, but difficult. Yep, it's simple, but difficult, which is, a, it's a real thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. Thank you very much for the, uh, for the questions. We'd like to thank our producers, Fat Bard and Sampa DaCosta for putting the podcast together. And thanks to our community moderators who keep our discord running. To get more involved in the Butterscotch community, go to podcast.bscotch.net. We have links to the Discord, a way for you to donate, and links to the archives. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.